Gracious Father, I thank you for the amazing and reckless love that you've given us, a love, Lord, that you poured out by sending your Son, by demonstrating for each of us what you would go through and the lengths that you would go to get that one. And I'm thankful, Lord, when I was that one that you left the 99 for me. I pray as we seek you in your word this morning, Father, that you would give us wisdom, that you would give us guidance, that your spirit would be our teacher, unveiling the truth of your word to each of us, and that we, Lord, would hear your voice, that you would open our hearts to receive from you, and that you would be glorified in all we do. In Jesus' name, amen. All right. When Jesus was baptized by John, when we looked at last week in chapter 3, the Holy Spirit descended on him like a dove. And God the Father spoke of Jesus' identity and approval. The Holy Spirit descending on him was a picture of being filled with the Holy Spirit, which is an important part of what we're going to look at today. Now, something I want to point out is as you're going to have to forgive me, my nose is running. Um, there's going to be a lot of that today. It's not in my notes. Um, one of the things that we have to pay attention to as we get into uh, Luke chapter 4 is this is before Jesus' ministry began, he was tempted. And before he was tempted and overcame that temptation, which is what we will see today, he was approved. I just want you to notice that progression. And because I know he sometimes listens to me, I'm going to give credit to Ralph on that one. When we were discussing our sermons on Wednesday, he said, have you ever considered that order? I went, no. That's really cool. Because it's no different for us. We just sang in that song, Reckless Love by Corey Asbury, that there's nothing we can do to earn it. There's nothing we can do to deserve it. But it's the overwhelming, never-ending, reckless love of God. We are saved by grace, through faith, that not of works, so that no one can boast. And so, it's not that God loves you because, well, you, you managed to not sin really bad today. And it's not that God loves you because you did really good things today. It's that God loves you. He loves you. He just loves you. Now, don't get me wrong. That doesn't mean he's always happy with what we do. Right? Where most of us are parents, sometimes your kids do things that you're like, ugh. But you still love them. <coughs> and so, I just wanted to point that out. As we begin our text today, I want you to keep Hebrews chapter 4 verse 15 in mind it says for we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses but was in all points tempted as we are yet without sin I mentioned this a couple weeks ago I mentioned it about a year ago when we were actually in Hebrews chapter 4 but we will never experience something that Jesus has not already experienced 
And as such, there is no situation that we will ever face that our high priest cannot sympathize with and that he will not walk through with us. Now, you may say, well, yeah, but Jesus never got fired from his job. Well, maybe not that specific situation. Or maybe, you know, well, Jesus never got bad news from the doctor. Maybe. But what I'm getting at when I say that is he understands sorrow. He understands loss. He understands pain. He understands betrayal. He understands all of it. Because he's been through all of it before. And he went before us and when we go into it now, he goes with us. And that is so important for us to understand. Let's read our passage, Luke chapter 4, verses 1 through 13, and then we'll go back and take it bit by bit. Then Jesus, being filled with the Holy Spirit, returned from the Jordan and was led by the Spirit into the wilderness, being tempted for 40 days by the devil, and in those days he ate nothing, and afterwards... When they had ended, he was hungry. And the devil said to him, If you are the Son of God, command this stone to become bread. And Jesus answered him, saying, It is written, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word of God. And the devil, taking him up on a high mountain, showed him all the kingdoms of the world in a moment of time. And the devil said to him, All this authority I will give you, and their glory. For this has been delivered to me, and I give it to whomever I wish. Therefore, if you will worship before me, all will be yours. And Jesus answered and said to him, Get behind me, Satan. For it is written, You shall worship the Lord your God, and him only shall you serve. Then he brought him to Jerusalem, set him on the pinnacle of the temple, and said to him, If you are the Son of God, throw yourself down from here, for it is written, He shall give his angels charge over you to keep you. And in their hands... They shall bear you up, lest you dash your foot against a stone. And Jesus answered and said to him, It has been said, You shall not tempt the Lord your God. Now when the devil had ended every temptation, he departed from him until an opportune time. In the first two verses, it says Jesus was filled with the Holy Spirit. This happened when the Spirit descended upon him like a dove. And we talked about that, right? If Jesus, being the Son of God, needs to be filled with the Spirit, how much more do we? Throwing that out there, right? If Jesus needed it, I guarantee we can't go without it. He returned from the Jordan, and then he was led by the Spirit into the wilderness, being tempted for 40 days by the devil, and in those days he ate nothing, and afterward he was hungry. After returning from his baptism, the Spirit led Jesus into the wilderness where he would be tested for 40 days. And I don't know why. If you guys have been following with us at all as we've been going through First and Second Samuel, every time we come across Abner, the Bible says his name is Abner, son of Ner. And it drives me nuts because in Hebrew, the name Abner means son of Ner. So every time I get there, all I can hear in my mind is it's son of Ner, son of Ner. Every time, it's coming again this coming Wednesday. If you want to join us, you can watch me giggle like a four-year-old every time I come across that. I don't know why. 
There's a, there's, a, there's a phrase right here that does the same thing to me. For 40 days, he ate nothing, and he was hungry. Thanks, Luke. Kind of appreciate that you put that in there. I mean, if I don't eat for 40 minutes, I can get hungry. I don't know about 40 days. First thing I want you to notice is that he was led by the Spirit. And there's two things about that that we need to pay very close attention to. Number one, following God's path for your life, or in other words, being led by the Spirit of God, will lead to difficulty. Oh, we don't like that. I know. I came here to be encouraged. You will be, I promise. The reality of being led by God's Spirit as a follower of Christ is repeated throughout Scripture. In passages like Romans 8.14, where the children of God are led by the Spirit. Galatians 5.16, where walking in the Spirit helps us to not gratify the flesh. Galatians 5.18, being led by the Spirit means we're not under the law. In John 14 and 16, the Holy Spirit is our helper, who is God living in us, who will teach us. But then we get this misconception that when we are led by the Spirit of God, we will never face difficulty. And that's not true. 2 Timothy 3.12 Yes, and all who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus will live happily ever after. It's not what it says. Yes, and all who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution. Oh, we don't like that, do we? That's not, that's, anybody got that verse tattooed somewhere? cross-stitched on a pillow, right, put up on your couch at home. Oh, just a great reminder every day when I wake up that, well, if I'm going to follow Jesus, I'm going to suffer. <laughs> Yay. Right? We don't put that on pillows. What about John 16, 33? These things I have spoken to you, that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation, but be of good cheer. I have overcome the world. Anyone got that one on a pillow? Little magnet on their fridge right we they're there guys we don't always like those verses i'm with you i don't like to suffer any more than anybody else does but if we are going to follow the lord the leading of his spirit the guidance and teaching of his word things aren't always going to go the way we would like them to things aren't always going to be rainbows and unicorns and puppy dogs and cupcakes with sprinkles on top i'm hungry I should eat more than a bowl of cereal on Sundays. But I just want you to keep that in mind because it's very different. Our culture wants to teach us differently. Our culture wants to teach us that, and I'm not talking about the culture outside of the church. I'm even talking about the culture inside of the church. That, well, if you, know, if you do the right thing and you follow Jesus and you read the Bible and you go to church and you, you write me your check, then everything in your life is going to be perfect. No, it's not. I'm sorry if you didn't already know this. But, uh, to quote one of my favorite movies, life is pain. And if anyone tells you different, they're selling something. I'll buy anybody a cup of coffee except members of my family who can tell me where that's from. Uh, but it's true, because we... And then you get into our culture, and our culture goes the other way, Right? Well, you just have to send out good vibes into the universe and the universe will send them back. 
just take a fork and plug it into the wall. I mean, that's about the same usefulness as sending good vibes into the universe. Oh, my thoughts are with you. I don't want your thoughts. You want to do something for me? Pray for me. Right? Because our culture, it's all about, let's just be as comfortable and happy as we can be. Let's be pleasant, right? Let's show the world how great everything is with our pictures on Facebook and Instagram and, and all of that stuff. And, and you know what? Let's just be real with each other. Life is difficult. Sometimes we have problems. Sometimes we have problems more than sometimes. But here's the reality. If we're being led by the Spirit, we'll get to the other side. Being led by the Spirit here, this is the second part, does not mean that God leads us into temptation. Now, we studied that at length when we were in James chapter 1, but if you remember in uh, verses 12 through 15 of James 1, we're told, Blessed is the man who endures temptation, for when he has been approved, he will receive the crown of life, which the Lord has promised to those who love him. Let no one say when he is tempted, I am tempted by God, for God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he himself tempt anyone. But each one is tempted when he is drawn away by his own desires and enticed. Then, when desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin, and sin, when it is full grown, brings forth death. Now, that's a fun thing to consider, especially in light of the passage we're reading. Was Jesus actually tempted? God can't be tempted, according to James chapter 1. Here we have God, the Son, in the flesh with the devil tempting him. Anybody got the answer to that? I'm just not. Jesus, as we have talked about, and this is one of the goals of the book of Luke, was human. 100% God and 100% man. As God, no, he couldn't be tempted, but as a human being, his humanity could be tempted. Otherwise, like Hebrews 4.15 said, he wouldn't be our sympathetic high priest. So it's in his humanity that he can be tempted. And the second question has to be, could he give in? Well, it wouldn't be a temptation if he couldn't. Jesus knew what he was facing. He knew what was coming. He, he predicted it multiple times as he walked with his disciples. The night before, and we'll get to this when we get towards the end of book, the book of Luke, the night before, in so much distress that he begins sweating drops of blood. He knew what was coming. And here the devil, and we're going to talk about this more in a minute, but the devil goes, I'll give you a way out. You don't, you don't think that he saw that and went, hmm, in his humanity. But he wasn't going to disobey the Father. So we'll get to that. Now he was led. He was led into the wilderness. And this is the word Eremos that we have talked about a lot before. This is the place of being alone. A place of silence and solitude. And I appreciate that he was there first before the temptation. We'll talk more about that. He was led into or led by the Spirit into fasting. When we head into the spiritual battle that we will inevitably face day in and day out, we have to be prepared for that battle. 
Jesus, being led by the Spirit, he knew what was coming. He knew the devil was going to come and tempt him. He knew that he was going to have to deal with this being that he created that then rebelled against him. When Jesus was praying in the garden before his arrest, he told Peter, watch and pray lest you enter into temptation. The spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. That's in Mark 14, 38. And this is for all of us. Every day that we wake up, we are part of a spiritual war. It is a massive mistake to head into that war without being prepared. Our Savior has taught us and exemplified for us how we prepare for that war. We get alone with God. We spend time in fasting and prayer. And as we will see in the following verses, we employ the word of God. It is one mistake to think that either A, there is no battle, or B, that we can avoid it. It is an even greater mistake to go into the battle unprepared. Verse 2. The devil said to him, If you are the Son of God, command this stone to become bread. And Jesus answered him, saying, it is written, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word of God. Verse 5. Then the devil, taking him up on a high mountain, showed him all the kingdoms of the world in a moment of time. And the devil said to him, All this authority I will give you, and their glory, for this has been delivered to me, and I give it to whomever I wish. Therefore, if you will worship before me, all will be yours. And Jesus answered and said to him, Get behind me, Satan. For it is written, you shall worship the Lord your God, and him only shall you serve. Then he brought him to Jerusalem, set him on the pinnacle of the temple, said to him, if you're the son of God, throw yourself down from here. For it is written, he shall give his angels charge over you to keep you, and in their hands they shall bear you up, lest you dash your foot against a stone. And he answered him and said, it's been written, you shall not tempt the Lord your God. When we looked at Jesus' baptism, we talked about our identity in Christ. Throughout this temptation, the enemy will try to get Jesus to doubt his identity and to circumvent, to go around that identity. If you are the Son of God. That's one way to take this passage. Because our enemy will do the same thing to us. He works hard to get us to doubt who we are in Christ. He really, really wants us to think we're something or someone else. Because when we know who we are in Christ, well, he can annoy. He can attack. He can bother. But he can't overcome us. If we get separated from that idea, right? And now maybe we get separated from that idea in our sin, Maybe we get separated from that idea because we believe a lie that either the devil has told us or that we have told ourselves or maybe that somebody else has told us. A lie, and I'll tell you this, we're working, uh, we're working on starting a Celebrate Recovery ministry here. And as part of that, we have to, uh, those of us who have never been through the program before, and there are several of us who are going through the leadership training, we have to go through 
the books uh, about Celebrate Recovery. And when you get to a certain section, they go, you have to make a searching, how did it go? A searching with moral, I'm looking for Cynthia. Searching with moral inventory of yourself. You have to go through a list. You have to look up to think about the things where other people have hurt you. And then you have to think of places where you've hurt other people. So on and so forth. One of the ones that came up for me, and I may have shared this with you all before. I don't know. Uh, one of my dad's favorite words for me when I was a kid was worthless. That's what my father used to tell me. He used to tell me I was worthless. He would ask me to do something. I'd take the trash out. The bag would break and dump on the ground. And I was worthless. You're the one that bought the cheap trash bag. But that's what my dad used to say to me. It was one of my most prominent memories of my childhood, is being called that. So as I grew up into a teenager, I believed it. As a young adult, even when I first got saved, I believed it. And I was always trying to prove that I wasn't. Always trying to do something to show my dad when he was still alive or the people around me that I was not worthless. And it was none of that that pulled me out of that fog. It was understanding who I am in Christ. And don't get me wrong, it still comes back every now and then. But it's because I know who I am. And who I am is because of what he's done. And so, when that voice comes in my head, when the devil whispers, don't you remember your dad? He called you worthless. Maybe he was onto something. I can tell him where he can go stick that because I know who I am in Christ. Second, the word if here can also be translated since. And this is another tactic that goes to what I was just talking about. The enemy is trying to get Jesus to prove who he is through foolish, sinful action. We don't have to prove anything to our enemy. Instead, we rest in who God says we are in Christ. It took me a while to learn that. I don't have to prove anything. Not to God. Not to myself. Not to you. I can rest in who he's made me. Now, don't get me wrong. That doesn't mean I can just live however I want. Woohoo! I'm saved. I'm going to go be a sinner. Romans 6 tells us otherwise, right? We don't abuse the grace of God. But I don't do it so that you approve of me. I don't do it so he'll approve of me. Neither should you. We do it because we are already approved. So let's get into these actual temptations. Number one says, command the stone to be bread. We know Jesus is hungry. He hasn't eaten in 40 days. This is meant to exploit his human weakness, and we can be assured our enemy will do the same to us. Got to think about it. We're here. We worship. We pray. We study the word. We fellowship. We're encouraged. You think when you walk out that door, that's when Satan's going to come after you? Well, he might. I don't know what kind of mood you're in. But you know when he's really going to get you? is when you have a really bad night's sleep and you wake up on Tuesday morning and you're tired and you're cranky and then you're running late for work so you don't eat a good enough breakfast and then by the time you get to work or, or you get to wherever you're going that day you have a co-worker who snaps at you and just snowballs 
And the next thing you know, the devil comes whispering in your ear. Because at that moment, you're weak. I mean, we're always weak, but it's a little worse. Jesus' first response. It is written, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word of God. And there's two things. That's quoted from Deuteronomy chapter 8, verse 3, by the way. All of Jesus' responses are quoted from Deuteronomy. Which, in case you didn't know, Deuteronomy is the book Jesus quoted the most often. Little tidbit for you. But we need to notice two things about Jesus' response. First, he responded with the word of God. We are told in Ephesians 6, 17, that the sword of the Spirit is the word of God. We're told in Hebrews 4, 12, that the word of God is living and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, able to divide between soul and spirit and bone and marrow and is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. When the devil came to tempt him, he pulled out his sword. And that's what we should do. That's why in Psalm 119, we're told we should hide the word in our hearts that we might not sin against God. That's why Jesus prayed in John 17, 17, that we would be sanctified by the truth of his word. Because I may not always have my Bible. Now, we do live in a day and age where we carry it around on our phone, which is helpful. But you don't always know what verse to go to. So it's always good to have a few stored up. It's always good to have a few stored up. For whatever it is that you know the devil will come after you regarding. I do. I have certain verses memorized. Don't ask me where they're at. I just know what they say. Because I always forget addresses. But I do. I have certain verses memorized. Be angry and do not sin and do not let the sun go down on your wrath. I have that one memorized because of my sunny disposition. Um, I will set no wicked thing before my eyes. There's another one that I keep forefront. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness because I tend to get distracted by things. Same with Colossians 3.1. Set your mind on things above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Right, I, I keep these verses, and I'm not, I'm not sure, look at all the verses I have memorized. That's about the only four I've got. But um, it's not what I'm trying to do. I'm just trying to show you that's why we keep the word in our heart. So when the devil comes and says, hey, you should go look at that website. No, I shouldn't, because I will set no wicked thing before my eyes. Hey, that person wronged you. You should cuss them out. Be angry, but do not sin. There's nothing wrong with anger. You know that, right? There's actually nothing wrong with anger. We see Jesus get angry. Go to the Old Testament. We see God get angry. Go to the book of Revelation. We really see God get angry. Anger is not the problem. It's the sin that comes with it. Right? There's been many times in my life when I have been justifiably angry. And then I responded in a sinful way. There's been some times in my life where I've been justifiably angry and then I responded in a way that honored God. Didn't mean I didn't deal with it or call it out or talk to the person or whatever. But anger is not the problem. It's what we do with it. But that's why we keep those in our heart. Now, Jesus had a bit of an advantage. He actually wrote the whole Bible. So he had you know, a little extra um, uh, help there. But that's why we do it. 
Second, Jesus did not entertain, explain, or defend his reasoning or try to rationalize anything. I want you to notice how short these conversations are. You ever find yourself arguing with the devil? Anybody? Am I the only one? You guys are so much better than me. Let me explain how this works. You get this idea. You know, I could do this. Maybe I probably shouldn't do this. It's wrong. You know, but I could do it. Don't I deserve it? No, I, really, I don't deserve it. It's wrong. I shouldn't do that. Oh, but it would be fun. No, it doesn't matter if it's fun. I really shouldn't. Now, when you get into those conversations, who are you arguing with? Are you arguing with yourself? No. You're arguing with the devil because it's the devil who's going, yeah, no, it'll be fun. Go do it. And it's the Holy Spirit that's like, stop talking to him. Well, but, but you don't understand. Oh, just, just a little bit. It's the death of so many people. Well, just, just a little bit. I'll just, I'll just take a little bit. Or I'll just go a little bit farther. Or I'll just look a little bit. Or I'll just, 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 just shut up. And listen to the Holy Spirit when he tells you not to do that. <laughs> Memorize the word. So when, when the Holy Spirit comes whispering, not the Holy Spirit, <laughs> when the devil comes whispering in your ear, you can go, uh-uh, I know better. Let the Holy Spirit guide you and teach you and bring that word to remembrance so you're not trying to do it on your own. But don't engage with the enemy beyond quoting scripture because that's what our Lord taught us. Second temptation. Devil showed Jesus all the kingdoms of the world and he declared all of this is mine and the authority of it and I'll give it to you for it's mine to give. All you have to do is worship me. Now this confuses people sometimes. Wait a second. How could the devil have authority over the whole world? How could he give it to Jesus? And all Jesus had to do was worship him. So let's deal with that first. All Satan ever wanted was to be God. It's what he still wants. He wanted to be worshipped. He wanted to set his throne above the throne of God the Father. You can go back and read Isaiah chapter 14, verses 12 to 21, where that's laid out for us. That's what he wanted. It's what he still wants. Let's not give it to him. Was it, uh, now I didn't, I'm, I, don't, I'm not, I don't keep up on pop culture. I've gotten to the point and I'm old enough now that I just don't care anymore. Um, isn't that a great age to be? I remember when I was 16, 17, oh, I wanted to know, I wanted to know what the number one song was. I wanted to know what movies were getting, you, you know, nominated for the Academy Awards. I wanted to know what the newest lingo and, and stuff, I, I wanted to keep up on that. And then even in my early 20s, and I, to my shame, even in my early 30s, I tried to keep up with that stuff. And eventually I got to the point, like, who cares? It's a great place to be. Oh, have you heard of this latest thing? Nope. And I'm happier for it. point Grammys did you guys see, hear about that right so I don't keep up on pop culture that's why I need my, my church family because I forget um, that they had a, a tribute to Satan was it the Grammys or the Golden Globe some some or some recent award show I'm like just boggled by that the people just want to entertain they're giving the devil what he wants which is disgusting to me. But then we have to ask the question, 
could the devil actually offer this? And the answer is yes. Ooh, John's shaking his head no. Give me a second. Here it comes. If the devil couldn't offer this, Jesus would have said so. And Jesus doesn't say, you don't have the authority to do that. Second, let's consider just a few scriptures. When you go back to Genesis 1, verse 28, Adam was given dominion over the earth. Right? Be fruitful and multiply and subdue. Those are the commands that Adam was given in the garden. In Genesis 3, Adam sinned and he forfeited that dominion to Satan. Because instead of being obedient to God, he was obedient to the enemy. Now, the Bible tells us that Satan is the God of this age who blinds people to the truth. That's in 2 Corinthians 4.4. 4. Jesus' death and resurrection paid the redemption price for each of us and for all creation. You can go check out 1 Peter 1, 18 and 19, Romans chapter 1, Romans 8.22. Right? As a result of this, Jesus purchased the earth back for himself so that he could get the treasure, which is you and I, out of the earth. That's what the parable of the hidden treasure in the field teaches us in Matthew 13, 44. And that's why Jesus did not dispute the devil's ability to give him everything. If Jesus had chosen to worship him, then the devil could have done that, but it would have put Satan on the throne. And I don't want to spend too much time here. But the reality is, Here's the reality. When Adam sinned, Satan got way too much influence over the world. And we see it to this day. Jesus has purchased it back. So he is now the rightful owner. And for those of us who have entered his kingdom by coming to know him by faith, well, then the devil has no sway whatsoever. Right? He can annoy, he can attack, but he cannot overcome. Because we are now in the kingdom of God. And when you get to Revelation 19, Jesus is going to come back, and he's going to take back what's rightfully his. Right? If that confused anybody, come talk to me afterwards. <laughs> right? But here's, here's the long and short of it. Satan could offer that because Adam forfeited it. Jesus said no. And when Jesus died on the cross and rose again, he purchased it back for himself, and he will come and claim it. Now his response to this, Get behind me, Satan, for it is written, You shall worship the Lord your God, and him only shall you serve. That's from Deuteronomy 6.13 and Deuteronomy 10.20. Only two times in Scripture do we see this phrase, Get behind me, Satan. The other time, Jesus had predicted his death and resurrection, and Peter told him, No, this will never happen to you. And Jesus looked at Peter and said, get behind me, Satan. Both times that that phrase is used, someone was trying to get Jesus to not follow the will of God. Both times. Here, the devil said, let's take a different route. You don't have to die on the cross. I'll just give it to you. All you got to do is bow down to me. And he said, no. Later, when Jesus said this is going to happen, Peter said, oh, no, 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 no. That's never going to happen to you. Trying to get Jesus to go around the will of God. And I submit to you that if you go to somebody and you say, this is the will, I believe this is the will of God for my life, right? I've been in the word, 
I've been in prayer. God has shown me this. He's leading me this way. And someone says, oh, you don't do that. That's stupid. You then have my permission to say, get behind me, Satan. Because if someone wants, to, wants you to not follow the will of God for your life, well, that person is not your friend. Even if they're well-intentioned. Even if they think they're coming from a place of love. Now, there is safety in the multitude of counselors, but when you know what God has called you to do, you follow it. When we know what the word is telling us to do, we follow it. And believe me, just like he'll try to get you to doubt your identity, and just like he'll attack you in your weakness, Satan does not want you to do the will of God for your life. Has anybody in here ever read the Screw Tape Letters? Incredible book. I love the Screw Tape Letters. There's a part of it that has always stuck out to me. And that is, you, you have Uncle Screwtape, who's writing letters to his demon nephew, Wormwood, who's working on this specific human being, trying to get them to help. And one of the letters, Wormwood writes to Uncle Screwtape and says, oh, the, the worst possible thing has happened. He got saved. And Uncle Screwtape writes back, he goes, ha, that's, that's all right. He goes, yeah, maybe he got saved, but what you can do is you can distract him. Bless you. Distract him with money. Distract him with sex. Distract him with the pleasures of this world. Because if you can do that, well, then you'll still bring him back to hell. Because you'll get him out of the will of God for his life. You'll get him away from being fruitful. Right? And, and, and it always, I'm, it's always stuck with me. Because it's awesome when we get saved. I don't know about you. It was really awesome when I got saved. And I'm still really excited about it. But Satan can distract us from being fruitful. Satan can pull us off of our purpose. So we have to come back. And God, by his grace and the power of his spirit, will help us do that. Now, temptation number three, the devil tries a different tactic. Takes Jesus to the pinnacle of the temple. This actually overlooked the Kidron Valley, and the drop was about 450 feet in Jesus' day. Really long way down. And the devil says, hey, throw yourself off. And then he misquotes Psalm 91, 11, and 12. This is exactly what he did to Eve, isn't it? Did God really say? So now he takes Jesus up there and says, well, you know, if you throw yourself off, God will take care of you, won't he? Isn't that what your Bible says? And Jesus responds, It's been said, you shall not tempt the Lord your God. Deuteronomy 6.16, I want you to keep in mind that our enemy knows the Bible better than we do. Now, he will twist it. He will misquote it. He will add things to it that aren't there, or he'll try to take things out that are there. But he knows what it says. We have to know it so that we don't get deceived. We need to know the scripture. We need to know how to interpret the scripture. We need to know the proper context of scripture so that we will not be deceived by the devil or those who serve his purposes when they twist and misquote the word of God. That's why 2 Timothy 2.15 says, be diligent, or another way to translate that word is study, to present yourself approved to God, a worker who does not need to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. I think 
one of the biggest mistakes we see in the world of Christianity, and it began a long time ago. It began 14, 15, 1600 years ago, maybe even farther back. And that idea was that there needed to be a separation between the clergy, I hate calling myself that, but the, the clergy and the laity, right? Between the pastor or the priest and the people, right? And then there were certain religious systems like Roman Catholicism, and I have plenty of Roman Catholic, I have plenty of Roman Catholic friends who love the Lord, but the system made that worse, right? They put the Bible in Latin so that the people who didn't speak Latin couldn't touch it. That's why when John Wycliffe did the first Bible in English, the Catholic Church burned him to death because they didn't want the people to know what the Bible said. That took away their power. And that separation grew and grew and grew and grew. Now, in the American church, and I love you all, please don't take this the wrong way. But in the American church, the people have become lazy. Well, I'll let the pastor study, and he can tell me about all the Greek words, and he can give me all the application, and I'll go about my merry way for the rest of the week. And that's awesome. I love listening to sermons. I love being fed by men of God who have prepared, who I can listen to, who I can grow and learn from. But if that's the only time, if this is all you get, you are in so much trouble. I've used this illustration before, but I'll use it again because it's appropriate. What you're doing right now is going out to eat. I've prepared the meal by God's grace and the leading of his spirit, I, I really hope, but I have prepared the meal that I'm now serving to you. Tuesday's Valentine's Day, guys. And on Tuesday, we have reservations. We're going to Garlic Mike's. Woo! Little veal parmesan. Now, what if that was the only meal we ate this week? Because when you go to Garlic Mike's, it might be the only meal you can afford this week. But still, what if that was the story? Well, we made it. We're going out. Someone's going to make us a night meal, nice meal, and we'll just ignore the other 20. What would happen? By Thursday, Friday, Saturday, I'd be really hungry. My wife, she would be living somewhere else. I love her to death, but she has, she has this condition called hangry. And I love that we've been married long enough. Sometimes I just know when she's in a bad mood. And sometimes I'll look at her and I'll go, you need to eat something. What? I've done that before. I've walked over to her with food. Here. Just, just eat this. Why? Just, sometimes I'll do it with chocolate. Right? If it gets to the point that she needs chocolate, then it's on a stick. All right. It never gets quite that bad. But she can laugh about it because she knows. Then she'll eat something. She'll be like, I feel better. Miracle of miracles. But that's us, guys. That's what we need. It's great that we have this together. I love this. But you have to eat on your own. And the way I put it, and I love to put it this way, you know what? Some mornings, all you have time for is a Pop-Tart. To flip your Bible open, read a psalm, but at least you got something. Some mornings, you're sitting down at Backcountry Cafe, and you're having a bacon, egg, and cheese omelet. I always say egg when I say omelet. Egg is implied when there's an omelet. Right? But you're having a bacon, egg, and cheese omelet with, with hash browns and toast and coffee and and 
right? So maybe that morning you, you got into the word and something really grabbed a hold of you. So you read three or four chapters and you, and you looked up some information about that passage in a commentary or you found a sermon on it or whatever, right? Some days are going to be different than others. But the point is, this can't be all you get. I love to give this to you. I love to, to get into the word and to teach it. But this can't be it. You've got to get into it on your own. That's why 2 Timothy 2.15 tells us that we have to study. Right? You can't leave it to someone else. And you want to know the best part about that? When you get into it to yourself, you'll know whether or not I'm giving you the truth. And then if you end up listening to somebody who's not giving you the truth, well, you'll know that too. So, <laughs> I have a section here titled Temptation in the Believer. There are several vital truths we need to point out and understand in regards to temptation so that we can respond to it following the example of our Lord Jesus. So first, we have the source of temptation, which we looked at in James chapter 1. We're drawn away by our own desires, right? We want something, so we go after it, even though it's wrong. Or we're enticed. Satan looks at us and he goes, ooh, right? You've got a weakness here. And so then he dangles it out there like a carrot. Those are the two sources of temptation. The means of temptation will always come in one of three ways. They will always come in one of three ways. 1 John 2.16 tells us what they are. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life is not of the Father, but is of the world. Lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. These are the only three ways you will ever be tempted because, well, they encompass everything. Let me explain. Jesus was tempted in these three areas. The lust of the flesh. He was hungry and the devil told him to make bread. The lust of the eyes. He showed Jesus all the kingdoms of the earth and offered them in exchange for worship. The pride of life. Throw yourself down. Won't daddy protect you? Right? The lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. Now, that's a bold statement to say that it's always going to be those three. Well, let's go back to Genesis chapter 3 when Eve was tempted. In Genesis chapter 3, verse 6, when Eve was tempted, the Bible says, So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, that it was pleasant to the eyes, and the tree was desirable to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate. Lust of the flesh, it was good for food. Lust of the eyes, it was pleasant to the eyes. Pride of life, it was desirable to make one wise. In both cases, both Eve and with our Savior Jesus, the devil attempted to twist scripture. It worked with Eve, it did not work with Jesus. Second, his methods haven't changed. His methods haven't changed. It would be great if they had, if he tried something different. But why? This method works. If I look back on my life, even over just the last few months, and the things that have caused me to stumble or sin, it's always one of those three. Something irked my pride. And so I got angry, and then I sinned with my mouth, or I sinned with my thoughts, or I sinned with my actions. Or I saw something. It's not your fault what you see. It's your fault how many times you see it. Right? It's your fault. 
No, I won't tell that story. Ask me later, I'll tell you that story. But it's not appropriate while I'm recording. Um, <coughs> but the point is, you can't help what you see, but you help what you do with it. Or the lust of the flesh. Boy, I really want that. Right? And, and maybe it's food, or maybe it's, who knows. But it's always going to fall into one of those three. Always. And sometimes they all go together. I'll give you, I think adultery is a great example of that. You see something that you shouldn't have and you want it. Right? That's the lust of the eyes. Then the lust of the flesh, you give into it. And then the pride of life, oh, it's okay. There's nothing wrong with that. Right? They like to work together. So the devil has never changed his tactics because his tactics work. Why would he change them? So how do we overcome it? 1 Corinthians 10, 12 and 13 says, Therefore, let him who thinks he stands take heed lest he fall. No temptation has overtaken you except such as is common to man. But God is faithful, who will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you are able, but with the temptation will also make the way of escape that you may be able to bear it. Now, I'm going to throw this out there real quick. People love to say, God will never give you more than you can handle. If someone says that to you, it's not true. God will always give you more than you can handle. 2 Corinthians chapter 12 says that when we are weak, then he is strong. Paul said, I would rather boast in my infirmity that the strength of Christ could be seen in me. God will often give us more than we can handle. Just look at your life and what's in front of you right now. I would bet you money it's more than you can handle. And that's not because he thinks it's funny to make us suffer. It's because he wants us to trust his strength. It's because he wants us to rest in his grace. So don't ever let, oh, God will never give you more than you can handle. Or the other one I really hate. He gives his toughest battles to his strongest warriors. No, he doesn't. I am not his strongest warrior. I am weak. I am pathetic. If there's anything good in me, it's his. If there's any strength in me, it's his. If I overcome, it's because he is my overcomer. So I want you to keep that in mind. Because this passage does not say any of that. What it does tell us is, one, don't be so foolish as to think you can't sin. Right? The moment you say, oh, I could never do that, oh, the devil's listening, and he's going to start throwing that at you in eight different ways until you fall. There is no sin that we are incapable of. The only reason we don't do it is because of God's grace in us. And the second thing we have to know is that God is the one who will give us the way out. I don't know about you. He does this all the time. Something will show up, and I don't know what it is, and he's like, dude, door's right there. Yeah, but it might, I'd just be curious. I just want to go this way a little more. No, the door's right there. Well, but Lord, look, look, it, I'm, I'm not there yet. It's just, the door's over there. I fall when I don't go through the door that he shows me. And that door has a lot of looks. Sometimes that door is shutting off your computer. Sometimes that door is walking away or hanging up the phone and getting away from the conversation. Sometimes that door, right, fill in the blank. But God will always give us the way out. 
So how do we prepare or how do we overcome? I got three phrases here and then we're going to close. Be prepared, right? Good old Boy Scout motto. Anybody here ever a Boy Scout? Boy Scout, be prepared, right? Be prepared. How do we prepare? We prepare with fasting, with prayer, time alone with God, being filled with and empowered and led by the Holy Spirit and by being diligent to study, understand, and apply the word of God. Easy, right? But be prepared. We will face battles daily. Do not go into them unprepared. Second, be aware. Be aware of the enemy's tactics. Be aware of your own weaknesses. I guarantee that the devil will come after us with these same tactics. He will appeal to the same lust and pride. He will always come after our weaknesses. He will try to cast doubt on who we are in Christ. He will try to cast doubt on the word of God. And on a very practical level, take extra care when you're hungry, tired, emotionally compromised, hurt, angry, or alone. Did you get all that? Be extra careful. I'm going to be super honest. You guys know my struggles. And if you don't, well, come ask me. I'll tell you. Um, there are days, and I'll text my elders sometimes, and I'll just tell them I'm not going into the office today. And they're always really cool. Cool. All right. No problem. Why? Most of the time when I do that, it's because I wake up in the morning and I'm like, I'm not going to be alone today. I know better. Something's going on. Devil's after me. I didn't sleep well last night. Maybe I'm, I'm feeling depressed or overly anxious. I'm not going to go sit in my office alone. I'm just not going to do it. That would be a bad idea for me. And so I stay at home with one of my kids. I've even gone, I've only done it once or twice, but I've even gone over to Leah when she's at work. And at Lighthouse, if you've ever been in there, I just go into that room and sit with my laptop. Because yeah, I'm not going to be alone. I know better. Right? Because when we're alone, he comes after us. But be aware. Finally, be willing to fight. Right? We're not alone in our fight. We actually don't even do the fighting on our own. God does it in us, with us, and for us. And he gives us the strength and power to fight back. Isaiah 41.10, Romans 8.31-39. Right? We have one another as a community of faith, the body of Christ, to encourage and support each other and to keep each other accountable. Ephesians 4, 11 through 16, 1 Corinthians chapters 12, 13, and 14. Please read all, it's all in your notes, read it, it's good homework for you. Understand that our battle is a spiritual one and not a fleshly one. In other words, don't be confused about who the enemy is or where this battle will be fought. Ephesians 6, 12, 2 Corinthians 10, 4. And finally, we have to be willing to fight with the weapons and strength that God has provided for us. Taking up the whole armor of God being filled with the Spirit of God and using the Word of God in prayer to fight our battles. That's in Ephesians 6, 10 through 20. I know I've gone a long time today, um, and I don't feel bad about it, because we need to hear this. As followers of Christ, we need to hear this. Right? Be prepared. And if you need help, right, if you know you're going into something and you need help, you call everybody or text everybody, and we will pray with you, and we will it, I, we'll even go with you if that's what's necessary, right? Don't do any of it alone. Be prepared. Be aware, especially if you're hungry or you're tired or you're alone or you're hurt or whatever else might come in there. And finally, 
you got to be willing to fight back. I think far too often we roll over. Oh, this is just too hard. I don't want to do it anymore. Or, well, you know, it would just be easier to give in this once, and I'll do better tomorrow. A little leaven, Jesus told us, leavens the whole lump. Don't let a little bit in. It has such a corrupting influence. And don't do it alone. You guys hear me say this all the time. Don't do it alone. First and foremost, spend time with your father and know that he's with you. That's the first way that you're never alone. The spirit dwelling inside of you. Second, that's why we're a church. That's why the church is so important. Someone comes to you and says, well, I believe in God, but I don't believe in the church. That person is in so much trouble. Right? Well, I worship God on my own when I'm hiking in the mountains. I'm not saying you can't do that. But you need to be, well, I'm going to say here because I'm biased. But you need to be in a place where the word of God is taught and where the love of Christ is shown and where you can be loved and supported by the people around you because we can't do this alone. We're not supposed to. In verse 13, I promise I'll be done. In verse 13, it says that the devil departed from him until an opportune time. And this is a lesson we need to listen to. Because I'm going to tell you what. Tomorrow morning, you're all going to wake up and you're going to get into the Bible. And you're going to pray. And you're going to be like, all right, Lord, I don't know what's coming today, but I need you to get me through it. And the devil's going to see that and he goes, yeah, today's not the day. They're ready. That's no fun. Right? I love playing pickleball. I haven't used a pickleball illustration yet today. When I play pickleball, the way you stagger when you're, when you're serving is you have one person up and one person back on the court. Now, whenever I get that serve back, I look. And if the person at the net is like this and they're ready, I don't hit them the ball because they're ready for it. I hit it to the other person. And sometimes when I'm playing John, and we all do this, but John's really good at this. I'll look over and John will be like this. And I'll, I'll whack the ball at him. He'll be like, right, because he wasn't ready. That's what Satan will do to you. So tomorrow when you wake up and you're ready, well, he's not going to come after you. But he, there is going to be an opportune time. Maybe it'll be next Thursday. Maybe it'll be a month from now. But there will be a time when maybe you let your guard down. Or maybe you're emotionally compromised. Or maybe something happens and then you're not ready for it. And then he comes after you. Let's close. In Luke 17, verses 1 and 2, we read, Then he said to the disciples, It is impossible that no offenses should come. Encouraging, right? Jesus said, There will be occasions to fall, occasions to sin, and occasions to stumble. That's what that word offenses mean. Woe to them, through whom they do come, it would be better for him if a millstone were hung around his neck and he were thrown into the sea than that he should cause one of these little ones to stumble. I died, didn't I? Hello? Hello? Oops. There we go. Yeah, oh, my mic died. Where was I? Right? So the reality is, sin will happen. Jesus told us that a servant is not greater than his master in John 13, 16. Right? So here's, here's the reality. Sin, the temptation to sin will come. There will even be times when we give in. 
If the devil went after our master, the servant is not greater than the master. He will come after us. Now, don't get me wrong. I, I seriously doubt I actually warrant Satan's time himself. He'll send somebody else. But it doesn't change that he'll come after us. When we follow our Lord's example, and we are prepared for the battle in front of us, and we respond by being spirit-filled and employing the word of God, then we can, by his grace and strength and his leading, we can have the same outcome. We can overcome. Now, what happens when we don't? Well, then we confess our sin, and he's faithful and just to forgive us our sin and cleanse us of all unrighteousness, according to 1 John 1, 9. Now, I'm not going to close with my normal questions today. Instead, I want to encourage you. So the first thing, I want to encourage you to know Jesus Christ. Because without a saving relationship with God through Jesus, you do not stand a chance against the schemes of the devil. It's that simple. If you do not know Jesus, if you are not filled with the Holy Spirit, then the devil, you are his playground. And I don't want that for anybody. The only way to not be that is to have a saving relationship with God through Jesus Christ. To know that he died on the cross for our sins, that he rose from the grave, and that when we believe in him, we will not perish but have everlasting life. Number two, I want to encourage all of us to be diligent, that we continue to be in the word and in prayer and in fasting, that we spend time alone with God, that we constantly seek the filling power of his Holy Spirit, because that's the only way we're going to be ready for the battles we will face. And finally, I want to remind all of us that we're not alone. First and foremost, God is always with us. He is always for us. He will go before us. He will hedge us in behind. Isaiah 58, 8 says, Then your light shall break forth like the morning. Your healing shall spring forth speedily, and your righteousness shall go before you. The glory of the Lord shall be your rear guard. And I know I already got into this, and I don't want to get into it too, far, too much more, but just don't try to do it alone. If you're struggling during the week, you text me, or you call me, or text somebody else in the church, or call them. Because if I am, I will. I will. Okay, not as often as I should, but I will. Because we're not supposed to do this alone. When we, as the body of Christ, know that God is holding us in his hands, and when we grow and are knit together in unity as the body of Christ, and when we submit to God as individuals and togethers, and togethers, when we submit to God as individuals and together, then our enemy, who has already lost, must flee. Let's pray. Lord, we love you, and we thank you for your great grace, and we just pray, Lord, that you would watch over us. And Lord, I know that we spent a lot of time today talking about the example and the instructions that you've given us for how to overcome temptation in our lives. And I'm so thankful that your word speaks to that. But help us to never forget that we don't do this on our own. Lord, we can't do it apart from your grace. We cannot do it apart from your strength. We cannot do it apart from your power and your spirit dwelling in us. We can't do it apart from the truth of your word. So I pray that you would hold us close to you and guide us and lead us and fill us with your spirit. And I pray, Lord, that whatever it is we're facing now or whatever it is that we may face that we don't even see coming yet, 
that we would lay it at your throne, that we would trust in your grace, and that we would rest knowing that you're going to take care of us. And may you be glorified in all these things, in Jesus' name.